Well, tonight I want to start a new conversation with us as a community. I believe that the adventure ahead for us, as I've said earlier, can be marked by joy and, and the blessing of God and the peace of God and the presence of God. And many of us would love that. Three of us. Any advance on three? But you know, for us to arrive at that place, we're probably going to have to fight some battles. Where there is great favor on a person's life, there is also great adversity. It says of Mary that she was highly favored of the Lord, and look what happened in her life. All kinds of things took place around her. From the outside looking in, it would think that God didn't have favor on Mary, but Mary was blessed. Mary was blessed of the Lord, and she lived with the reality of that blessing. Her favor was internal, and it became external, obviously very visible, whenever Jesus, the Messiah, was born. And he grew in stature and favor in the eyes of God. So favor is really important to us. And I believe that this house, this church, not singling it out amongst other churches, this house has a particular favor on it, has a particular blessing on it. You know, we are blessed to be a blessing to the nations. Amen. You know, we are blessed to see the move of the Holy Spirit in our gatherings. We are blessed that the Lord turns up and inhabits the praises of his people. We are blessed that we have apostolic oversight and leadership and a pastor at the helm of this church that has this great passion to see the kingdom of God extended throughout the world. Amen. We are blessed upon blessed upon blessed. And with that blessing, with that favor, I believe the enemy would want to thwart the plan and the purpose of God as we step towards a new decade. And we need to be ready for that. We need to be prepared for all that God wants to do. But do not worry because our battle isn't just our capacity to contend for what God has for us. We have someone who's fighting on our behalf. Aren't you grateful? And he has won every battle he's ever fought. Hallelujah. So I want to talk to you, however often I get a chance to do that in the evenings, over this reality that God is our defender. And I'm going to pick it out of the story of a man called David. I don't know if you know of him. If you're new to Christian faith, you may not have heard of him. But he was a man who was familiar with warfare. He had fought many, many battles. But he found a place in his relationship with God where God's presence, God's power and provision became available to him in the midst of every battle. And one of the places we can see how he lived and how he operated very clearly from is Psalm 91. If you have a Bible with you, please turn there with me. Or if you have it on your iPads or iPhones or whatever it is, or Androids, just, what is an Android? Is that just not an iPhone? Okay. <laughs> okay. That's how educated I am in technology. So Psalm 91 is one of my favorite Psalms. We're going to be reading from verses 1 through to 8. Just listen to these words. This is David, the one who was the greatest warrior in the Old Testament, said, Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the foulest snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you will find refuge. Someone say Amen. amen. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that strikes in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. Look at this. Look at this kind of warfare. A thousand may fall at your side. 
10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. Now, David was completely acquainted with war. He'd spent most of his life, in fact, fighting battles. In his younger days, he fought the lion and the bear, those wonderful stories, while he was on his own, taking care of his sheep, when no one was watching how God used and trained him in a glorious way for something that was coming to his life that would be a defining moment for him. And you know what that defining moment was. Whenever he, led by God, decided to stand up against the Philistine armies and take down the the great giant known as Goliath. Just visualize the moment for a second. This young man, very simple, very pure of heart, just wanting to serve God and indignant about the fact that these armies, these Philistine armies, were coming against the people of God. And he tried, as everyone would, to step up as a warrior and he put on Saul's armor. But the Bible teaches us that it was too big for him and he looked ridiculous in it. And then he disrobed himself of all the paraphernalia of external warfare. And with his worshipping warrior heart, he just stood before Goliath and he took him down. There's something about a heart that lives in that kind of intimacy with God that's a powerful weapon for the purposes of God. He became known throughout the land after that as a great and mighty warrior. And it was something God trained him in in private that became very, very public. And all of a sudden, as a result of that public moment, he was offered the hand of the king's wife and suddenly became a dignity in that particular land. You know, whenever you do warfare from the secret place that comes out and becomes visible in the public place, God will position you in the right place for his purposes. He has plans that we do not know fully, but actually it's happened to us in the private place, in the secret place, and the public place demonstrates the favor of God and something opens up for us. In 1 Samuel 18, verse 77, this is what they said about our warrior David. He said, as they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. So what did David know about warfare? What did he know about God in the midst of the battle that we can discover for ourselves as we step in our favor to what I believe will be a decade of great breakthroughs where God will take down some giants in your life and that which is private will become public and you and I will be elevated to places of influence as God has indeed ordained it. Well, the first thing I want to suggest to you is this, that all great warriors or all great People in battle actually start their posture from a place of rest. The enemy always thrashes about. He always wants to cause chaos. He's always spouting allegation and accusation. But David suggests to us that we don't engage with that. That actually we find ourselves in the presence of the Most High God. That we quieten our souls. That we stop determining how we react to what's happening around us and respond to the invitation to be with the Most High God. David suggests there's a place, there's a posture of heart that's anchored in the reality of the nature of God, an inner life, a connection with God so powerful and so intimate that it drowns out the noises of the external and leads us into the eternal purposes of God. He uses this phrase, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High, the outcoming of dwelling and abiding is that he will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. 
Church, can I remind you tonight as we step towards this decade of great breakthrough and opportunity that rest is a weapon. In fact, it's probably the most underutilized weapon in the Christian armory. As Christians, we should be completely peaceful. If your internal world is in turmoil, then ask the God of peace, the Prince of Peace, to come and bring order to your internal world. Because I can guarantee you, if your internal world is in chaos, you will be partnering with your external world, which is also in chaos. Because the world in which we live is chaotic. We have been invited by God to live from a different center. Rest is our secret weapon. As Christians, we should be calm. We should be centered on Christ. We should be living in peace. We should be enjoying the rest of the God who has already accomplished everything on our behalf. Amen? And rest is the starting point for successful warfare. Now that sounds counterintuitive, doesn't it? Because whenever the battle rages, what we tend to do is rise up. And we think that we can conquer or, or take down these giants and adversities if we become active, if we become proactive. But actually, because the kingdom is the opposite to the kingdom of the world, we must start from the reality of who God is. If we want God to be present and to work through our lives, we must allow him to present himself to us in a way that gives us confidence, security, and indeed certainty that the battle will be won by the Lord. Rest is your secret weapon. How are you doing with that? And how many of us recognize that whenever adversity comes, rest seems to be fleeting? Is there anybody who's losing sleep over a problem? Anybody striving to see a breakthrough? Well, can I suggest that you might be invited by God to stop striving and to start abiding as you dwell in the shelter of the Most High God. The outworking of that is you will rest, and look what it says there, in the shadow of the one who is almighty. In other words, his nature and his character and the person of God will begin to present itself to you and presence himself with you. So what is rest for the Christian in the midst of the battle? Well, it's simply this, knowing who he is. It's an invitation from God to step away from the anarchy and the chaos and we're invited to live in our truest inheritance which is to know who God truly is. And when we know who God truly is, we are equipped for all that we have to contend for because his nature, his power, his glory and his capacity actually are wrapped up in his personality. If you know who God is, then you know how God moves. And if you know who God is, you know who you are in spite of the fact that your enemy is taunting you. And if you know who God is, you know that he is a completer of everything he finishes. And if you know who God is, then you know how to deal with your enemy because your enemy is a mouse with a megaphone. But the Lord, the still small voice of the almighty God is the one who whispers life and brings people into his fullness. Rest is simply coming into partnership with the knowledge of who he truly is. And here's what I've learned about that. He is who he says he is. And this is what he says of himself. I am the great I am. Not the great could be, or the great should be, or the great was one time. But I am presently filled to overflowing stature as the great I am. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. The one who supersedes and precedes all things, seen or unseen. 
We need to rest in that reality and we need to come into partnership with his personality. Rest is our inheritance as those who belong to God. Jesus has finished the work that is necessary for us to come into the place of rest and assurance and completeness with God. Somebody say amen to that, please. And confidence in his nature will always put our souls at rest. You know, I never had a father who fought my battles. In fact, he always sent me out to fight his battles, to be honest. But you know, I used to look at the boys at the school and they'd say, whenever things got a bit scary in the playground, I'm telling my dad on you. I'm going to bring my dad to the school. Now, in their imaginations, their dad was a superhero. Often when they turned up at the school gate, they looked little less than that, to be honest. But in their minds and how they saw their father and how they engaged with their father, their father could do anything. He had power to do things that they never imagined they could ever do. But actually the truth is of God that although in our earthly way we believe our fathers could accomplish great things on our behalf, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has it even entered the heart of God's people yet what God has prepared for those who love him. When I'm confident in his nature, my spirit is at rest. It's almost like the pressure goes and I sit there thinking, wow, I wonder how this will look, God. I wonder how you're going to fight this battle on my behalf. I wonder how we're going to fight together. I wonder what sweet fellowship we'll have. What secrets you'll tell me. What aspects of your nature and your character you'll reveal to me in the midst of this reality. And when we are confident in his nature, our spirit becomes at rest in that we realize some things that are worthy of mention. The first one is this, that God's promises are designed to help us grow ever increasingly in measure by measure dependently on him. See, if you're in the midst of a battle and you have a promise, you have currency from heaven. If God has spoken, if God has told you, if God has awakened your heart to the truth of revelation, that he will do what he promised he will do, then you have money in the bank in heaven. And all you have to do is make a withdrawal. You say, Father, this is the time. Come and release your kingdom. Father, this is the time. Show us your glory. This is the time, Lord God. Exercise your authority. Unveil your mighty right arm, God, and take down my adversity. We are completely and utterly dependent on him to do so. And we are completely reliant on his grace and mercy to show up in the midst of moments like that. And we can live from that posture of revelation no matter what comes against us. And do you know why I know that is true? Because the Bible is full of ordinary people who saw God do extraordinary things and all they had was faith that he was who he says he was and he would do what he promised he would do. In fact, Hebrews 11 is full of examples of people like you and I, just people trying to live for Jesus and God did extraordinary things they, in their humanity, would have given up long before the battle was won. But with the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives, they fought through. Ordinary, everyday people fought through until the victory was theirs. And what was it that caused them to keep fighting? Well, they believed in God's heart towards them. God loved them and God cared for them and God desired great things for them. Do you know, as we step towards this decade, do you know one thing I'm praying for for myself is that as it completes and it will complete, please God, I'll be alive at the end of it. There's no guarantee, is there? There's no guarantee. My prayer is at the end of it, I would be so energized by God's love for me 
that I would have grown in my capacity to experience that love and more importantly, not just selfishly, to be able to explore and to express that love to people around me. Why are we able to live like that in the midst of a battle? Because it's not about how strong we are. You do know that, church, don't you? It's about how powerful the Lord is. And on that note, let me just draw your heart to another thought as we look at the whole concept of rest in the midst of adversity. Our weakness, is there anybody here who feels weak? Nudge somebody and say, I think he's talking about you. We all feel weak. Do you ever have a problem that just seems insurmountable? That's you coming into touch with your humanity. You know that, don't you? Does it ever appear to you that what needs to happen is greater than your capacity to make it happen? You see, one of the things I've noticed about God is he likes to create a gap. What needs to happen is so great and what I have to offer seems so little. It's like the loaves and the fishes. There is so much need sometimes and yet right under my nose, God has already supplied a need. Now, it may not look much to me. It may not even be what I expected God to use. But when I take what he has given me, just like David, where he took the stones, I start to see that God has already prepared me for battle. And my weakness becomes an opportunity for his greatness. To rest in God's power when you feel weak is simply relying on his grace, his truth, and his mercy. It's not about how strong we are. It's about how powerful the Lord is. Let's, let's read that portion of scripture again about rest. Psalm 91. I want this to absorb into our hearts and to our lives as we step towards this decade. It says, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Can I give you a little heads up on what the invitation is for the decade? Dwelling. You see, we often come in and out of God's presence ad hoc. Do you do that? We want to discover him, particularly when we have a need. When there's a problem, suddenly our prayer life goes through the roof. Have you noticed that? Suddenly we need God. The truth is, whether you have a problem or you don't, you really need God. We all need God consistently and persistently throughout our lives. Why wait till you have a problem? Why not build that confidence prior to a problem? Why not prepare your heart for battle? So when the enemy comes in like a flood, you just lift up a standard and praise the Lord. Why not be trained now for when the warfare begins? And trust me, the warfare will begin because the enemy wants to destroy what God wants to do in your life. And there are only two people trying to kill you off and you get to choose who it is, either God or the devil. Let me tell you my choice. Father, kill me every day. Let me die to self that you may live in your resurrection power in every part of my life. Are you going to move from visitation to habitation? Are you going to move out of occasional interactions with God to a consistent abiding? You see, the word here, abide, means that you've settled down. You've almost made up your mind where you're going to live. Are you going to live in the presence of the Most High God throughout this decade? Or are you going to tippy-toe in and visit occasionally when you have a problem? And go back to self-reliance whenever the problem disappears. He who dwells, not he who visits. He who dwells in the shelter. The shelter is the habitation of the nature and the character of God. You know that you were created to live there? That your truest, most noble, glorious invitation is to abide in his presence? To feast on his goodness? To be surrounded by his greatness? 
You come alive in his presence. You come alive whenever he's real to you. Please don't be a visitor. Be a dweller. And as you dwell, as you step towards the future, you will see the mighty hand of God training you and equipping you as he reveals who he is to you. You will not be intimidated by the enemy. You will not be marginalized by your circumstances. Your problems will turn into opportunities for upgraded thinking and experience of who God truly is. Another thing I've learned as I looked at this is learning to live in God's defending power requires from us a heart and a spirit at rest in the reality of his nature. To be confident in who God is when we are surrounded by warfare is simply this. It's the evidence of peace. And in fact, it's the evidence of peace which surpasses all understanding. A number of years ago, I was in a meeting and um, I was going through a particular time in the church where I was frustrated. I know none of you do that, but there was times and seasons, and probably will be again, where I get into a place of frustration, and I was just seeking the Lord and seeking the Lord and seeking the Lord. And um, God was trying to teach me, no doubt. He was trying to upgrade me. It felt like a season of contending for things, and I was a little exhausted of contending. Do you ever feel a little exhausted of contending? And right in the middle of this meeting, just God took me to this place. And I believe it was a a heavenly vision of some description. I'm not sure what kind it was, but actually I found myself on this battlefield. And I'm looking around on this battlefield, and there's just thousands of wounded people. And straight away my heart identified that this was the church, that the church was wounded. And I'm looking around at these people, and many of them uh, have bloody kind of you know, clothes, and they're, they're wounded, and some are weeping, and some are whimpering, and some are crying, and some are shouting. And, and I start to become very urgent in my heart to try and make this right, and to try and help people who I thought were in need of help. And right in the middle of it, I get a tap on my shoulder, okay, and I look behind me, and there's somebody dressed like Carson of Downton Abbey, a tailcoat, and a tray in his hand. And he looks at me, and I say to him, are you a Christian? And he nods, and I said, well, can't you help me with these people? And before I can even finish my sentence, he said to me, I've been sent to you. I said, oh, thank God for that. He said, the Lord has a question for you. I said, what is it? He said, would you like the melon or the soup? So I get frenzied in the middle of this vision. I'm saying, what are you asking me that for? Come on, get your fine clubber off and get down on your hands and knees and help people. And I start trying to bandage people and help people in this vision. And I get a tap on the shoulder and it's this Carson character again. And I look up and he said, you didn't reply and the Lord is waiting for your response. Would you like the melon or the soup? Now, if the first time was difficult to understand, I was even more incensed the second time. And so I just, I excuse myself and I move away from this individual and I start trying to gather people together and it just gets very intense. And then he taps me on the shoulder again. And guess what? He asks me a question. Do you have any idea what it might be? Would you like the melon or the soup? And straight away I came out of this experience and a scripture came to mind. And this is the scripture. He has prepared a table before you in the presence of your enemies. In the midst of every battle, God has prepared a place for you. You are welcome at the place. God has assigned it to you. We don't need to become fractious or anxious 
about what's happening around us. We need to have fellowship with him and enjoy the finest affair in our knowledge of who he is. Learning to live in God's defending power requires a heart that is open and sensitive to the reality of his nature. We need to be confident that our God is bigger. And therefore, the reality is, no matter how wild the warfare is, we will not lose. Greater is he who is for us than anyone who is against us. A couple more thoughts and then I'm going to pray because I think this is quite a word for many of us tonight. I'm sensing that the Lord is maybe ministering through this to people and it's about the preparation for the days that lie ahead. But a couple more thoughts to help us, I hope, as we step towards this decade. To rest in the shadow of the Almighty, in the midst of great warfare and adversity, you need to know the partnership you already have with God. Jesus uses a term that I think sometimes we have not necessarily fully embraced its truest potence and power. He says this, he says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then he invites us to some clarity around the partnership that produces that rest. He says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And here is the most wonderful thought. This is the God who is the warrior of warriors, warring and defending us. But look at his nature and look at his character in Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30. He says this, for I am gentle. Do you know that the nature of God is gentle? Now, when you look at warfare, it may look to you that gentleness is not enough. But it's in God's gentleness that he takes down strongholds. His gentleness is the most beautiful aspect of his nature and it has the power to uproot things and it has the power to plant new things. Do not mistake gentleness for weakness. Gentleness is not weakness. And in our world, I said this a couple of weeks ago, it was just a new fresh thought to me, that God looked out upon society and in all that anarchy, He was gentle and kind and sent a baby as the antidote to the chaos of human souls. God always uses his secret weapons of gentleness and kindness to bring about victory. Some of us would be saying, God, let your strength come. Let your power come. But God sends his gentleness. And his gentleness has the capacity to change everything in its wake. And he is gentle and humble in heart. And look what we find is our invitation in the midst of adversity. And you will find rest for your souls because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you want to live under the shadow of the Almighty, if you believe that God is teaching us and inviting us to a new season of greater levels of warfare and the outcomes will be more powerful, then you need to know also not just how to rest in him, which is great. I hope I've explained that enough for you, but also the partnership you already have with him. There is a place set aside for us, an open-ended invitation in the spirit of God to live in the consistent reality of his nature even though the world around us is chaotic. God is at peace with himself. And when I'm with him, I'm not only at peace with God, I'm at peace with myself, and his peace affords me the capacity to do battle gloriously. 
God has set a place aside for his people to live that make us really frustrating to the enemy. Do you know when you're living in rest, when you're living in the nature of God, when you're living in the invitation of being yoked with Jesus, you really, really cause the devil some problems. In fact, if you really want to get up his nose, start doing it. Because he can't reach you there. He can't get to you. Why? Because you are hidden in Christ. You are hidden in the cleft of the heart of God. And the devil can't reach you there. And there's a place available to anyone. And I don't know what your battle is tonight or what you're going through currently. I have my own experiences of some warfare around my life currently. But listen to this from John chapter 14 verse 27. It says, peace I leave you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives to you. And look, he says, I love this. Do not let your heart be troubled. Nor let it be fearful. So we have these glorious invitations as we step towards this decade. And there's this wonderful invitation of God for us to move into a deeper clarity and certainty of our truest identity in him. As we step towards abiding and dwelling in his rest. As we open our hearts up to his nature and his character. As God begins to show us the partnership and the yoke we have with Jesus Christ. Which is eternal by the way. Because nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We start to find that we frustrate the enemy. Now I don't know if you have any enemies. Does anybody have any enemies? Give me a wave. Well we know we have one glorious enemy don't we? Who doesn't relent until he destroys our lives. But have you got any earthly ones? Please don't look at me or the person sitting next to you. Sometimes you do get them, don't you? It's true, you do. But remember this, that you can be utterly frustrating to them when you live with a heart that's built and indeed grafted in to the nature, the peace, the rest, the kindness, and the goodness of God. In fact, there's nothing they can say that can hurt you. There's nothing they can do that can destroy you. And they may try. And some people feel they have to try. They think it's their God-given mandate to take you down. But you know, when you're hidden in him, they can't touch you. And it's not about what happens around you because stuff will happen around you. The war will continue. But you will be at peace with God, yoked with Jesus Christ, dwelling in his goodness, saturated by his kindness, filled to overflowing with his gentleness, and you become an impenetrable force for the enemy of any description to reach you or to destroy you. And another thing that comes from this reality, which I think is a great partnership for us because we lack it in our human endeavor, is joy. Do you know the Bible says in his presence there is fullness of joy? So if you want to know somebody who's been in his presence... Because if someone's been in his presence, they just have this internal sense of God's overwhelming goodness and joy and fullness and blessing. And you know, I just, I just love the fact that when I meet people, you know, they say, you know, I've got joy, pastor. I say, well, where is it buried? Because it looks like we're going to need an excavation. We need one of those things people have, you know, on the beach to find it. Beep, beep. Oh, there it is. There it is. It's been a while. But you know, we don't just want superficial joy. That's true. And we don't want circumstantial joy. We don't want joy that's based on a good feeling or a good day. Amen? How many of us know that kind of joy is fleeting? 
What we want is a stronghold of joy. We want to be joyous on the inside to such a point because we're in relationship with him and his joy is afforded to us that actually everywhere we go, we just release the joy of the Lord, even if our enemies are against us. You know, a couple of years ago, I was in a meeting and a guy came up to me and he said this to me. He said, I don't like you. It's not the best way to say hello, is it? He said, I don't like you and I don't like your ministry. I said, oh, wow. He said, in fact, I'm going to do everything I can to destroy you. He said, I think that you are superficial. You keep talking about love and joy and all of those things. And I said, I looked at him and I felt the Holy Spirit give me some mail over him. And I said, you may not like me, but you know what? I think you're wonderful. He said, you can't think I'm wonderful. I said, I can think what I want. If you can think what you want about me, then surely I can think what I want about you. He said to me, well, I'm not going to be your friend. I said, well, that's not going to be possible, sir. Let me tell you why, because it's Tuesday. And on Tuesday, everybody's my friend. He said, I'll come back tomorrow. (laughs) I said, well, come back tomorrow, but we've got a special on. I'm taking two friends for the price of one. And on Thursday, I have my particular grace day. So you can say whatever you want and do whatever you want. You see, if you have joy on the inside, it really doesn't matter what people say to you on the outside. Because God will build the nature of Jesus into your life to such a point that your life is not altered by the course of people's opinions or their perspectives on who you are. And why can we live like this? Well, in Romans 8 verses 35 to 37, it says that God has conquered every external force that set itself up against the purposes of God. Look what it says here. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? And that is the goal, you know. When the enemy starts to rage, that's his goal. He wants to separate you from the love of Christ. Will tribulation, my survey says, uh uh-uh. Distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, don't answer, peril, the sword, just as it's written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered, but in all these things we are overwhelmingly conquerors through Christ who loved us. And finally, Victory is guaranteed as we remain in the faithfulness of God. 2 Corinthians 6 verses 4 to 10 says this, Rather as servants of the Lord, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger. Who's had one of them this week? In purity, understanding, patience, and kindness in the Holy Spirit, and insincere love. In truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and the left, through the glory and dishonor, both bad and reports and good reports, genuine yet regarded as imposters, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and not yet killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing yet possessing everything." I know a place, a secret place, that is available to anyone or everyone who has a heart to endeavor to take their place in the purposes of God 
in bringing the kingdom to pass. And for that to happen, strongholds will need to be taken down. Some things will need to be uprooted and other things will need to be established. Let me read to you again. In fact, would you stand with me, please, as we draw our thoughts to their conclusion. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High God will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. And a testimony will come from that reality. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. His nature, His character, His faithfulness, His joyous, glorious personality afforded to those who dwell. The outworking of such is surely he will save you from the foulest snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. He will assign to you faithfulness to be your shield and your rampart. And you will be so in love and so overwhelmed by who he is and so completely and utterly given over to who he has made himself to be for you that you will not fear the terror of night nor even the arrow that flies by day nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness nor the plague that destroys at midday you are going to stand in the midst of the battle a thousand may fall at your side ten thousand at your right hand But church, listen to me. Those who dwell in the secret place of the Most High God, those who receive that invitation seriously, those who gloriously come under the auspices of his character and his personality, you will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. God, our defender, he is reliable, consistent, and persistent and available if you want to come to that posture of dwelling.